Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Michael Errett, Head of Global Talent Management at Johnson & Johnson. Michael is responsible for the attraction and development of global and diverse talent across the enterprise. In his role as Head of Global Talent Management, Michael oversees succession management, talent development, talent acquisition, workforce analytics, talent mobility, performance management, and assessment. Michael, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thanks so much, Josh. It's great to be here with you. Well, it's great to have you on. And again, as someone who does so much in the world of talent management, and as I mentioned, all the great things that you work on in that space, it really touches on a lot of the topics we focus on through HR Daily Advisor and through the HR Works podcast built around talent development, talent growth, and especially in this current era of the great resignation and just the challenge in finding great talent, understanding how you can build your organization from within and really identify that great talent. So we brought you on today really to dig into that topic and learn so much more from your expertise. Uh, But before we do that, I'd love to get you introduced to our audience. If you don't mind, just can you share a bit of your journey, your career path, and what got you started in a career in human resources? Sure, Josh. So I, um, I actually started out as a finance and marketing major undergraduate, and I was part of a leadership development program in finance early on in my career. Um, I did some cross-functional rotations, and one of them was in performance management, so designing and delivering a performance management system, and really fell in love with this notion of helping people and organizations to optimize and to be fulfilled and and purpose uh, met. And I made the shift over to HR, and I've been in that um, in this function for uh, the the remainder of my career. So it's been about um, twenty plus years in HR. I've always worked in healthcare, so three different healthcare companies, and I've sort of bounced back and forth between roles in talent management and HR business partner jobs. Um, I've lived and worked in you know all regions of the world. I've um, I've I've worked across healthcare in different parts of that, including medical devices and consumer health medical products and um, pharmaceuticals. And uh, I guess the last piece of sort of career would be, I have um, been on a little bit of a personal and lifelong pursuit. I have been fascinated with the study and attempted application or practice of leadership since I was very young. And um, I've been I've been studying and and um, and trying to apply for many years. Um, so I finished up my 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 own I guess educational work on that in 2018. I have two doctorates, one in organizational leadership and one global global leadership and change. And now I'm teaching uh, at Rutgers University. So I've been in the classroom a long time, I guess, is the summary of that. That's great. And as I should say, Dr. Michael Errett joining us as the guest here. Thank you for sharing your background there on that one, Michael. And great just to hear about your passion for leadership too. And that's something that is a lifelong learning opportunity, right? We're always learning how to be better leaders. It's never a finished goal, right? It's always something mm-hmm. to keep improving on. So hoping to learn a bit more about that and leadership development. But if you don't mind, I know I gave you a quick intro at the start, but could you tell us a little bit more about what you focus on and what you oversee in your current role at Johnson & Johnson? Absolutely. So yeah, at Johnson & Johnson, we are the largest and uh, broadest-based healthcare company in the world. We have an incredible array of diverse businesses underneath the banner of Johnson & Johnson. 
And I get to work at the center of that. And my job is to ensure we have the right talent access and acquisition strategies uh, to recruit and access talent. I have responsibility for mobility and mobilization of talent. And then I have enterprise learning and development. So the learning and development for all of our people across the world. And then I have several COEs across HR that, that you had referenced in my intro. So I have succession management, and it's been a little bit of a wild ride um, of late at Johnson & Johnson as we've um, embarked upon some big strategic moves. And we've had a lot of changes in, in leadership at the, at the top. And um, performance management, assessment, and then people analytics. So that's sort of the portfolio of responsibilities I have. Definitely an impressive portfolio there. So bringing you on today, I really wanted to dig into that idea of performance management, talent management, and talent development. Oftentimes, as organizations are looking to fill these new roles and new opportunities that open up within their workforce, their best talent exists from within. And it's identifying and cultivating and giving that existing talent that is already employed and a part of the organization an opportunity to rise up and take advantage of those new opportunities. So what are some of the key soft skills that HR teams should be focused on developing within their workforce to really help cultivate that next wave of leadership at an organization? Yeah. And uh, Josh, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, part of the equation of talent strategy is, you know, I think optimizing and, and leveraging the great talent that's within a company. And as you know, uh, competition for talent is fierce. Um, the, the onus and responsibility that we all have in terms of um, retaining and date, engaging and growing our people is, is, is important. Um, the way that I might kind of structure my answer to that question is, um, you know, first off, uh, we, we at Johnson & Johnson, we, sh- we strive to be the healthiest company in, in the world. I mean, our, our, our mission is to change the trajectory of health for humanity. And that ladders its way down into my space around making sure that we have people that have healthy careers. Right. And we feel like for all of the people that are working at Johnson & Johnson and part of our talent ecosystem, we have a multitude of development and growth opportunities. And, you know, our job is to make sure that we connect all these people that want to learn and grow to all these great opportunities. And at the root of that is a pretty simple development model we have, which we call our three E's, which is we don't think development is a prescription or one size fits all, but development and growth happens in lots of different ways. And and primarily it's around these three E's. So it's really around experiential development, education, which is is a little bit more formal and structured, and exposure. So how do we give people exposure to different parts of the company, different um, skills and competencies? And and at the center of that, I think, is a big um, element of the person. So, you know, self-reflection and self-awareness that starts with this health, the notion of what brings you energy? You know, you know, Josh, what do you love to do? What drains your energy? And how can we curate and channel development and growth that makes the most sense based on your core value system and your purpose and what brings you energy. Right. Yeah. That's just getting the most out of your employees and really getting them to be at their most passionate point. Yeah. I think to your comment about soft skills, I mean, I think there's an aspect of leadership and behaviors, which despite the world changing dramatically and day by day, and as we think about over the past few years, just how different the world we live in today is from what it was the last few years ago, a few elements sort of carry through, which is, um, you know, first off, it's sort of values and purpose is we want and we are able to attract people at Johnson & Johnson that share that view of they want to help the world. They want to help people live longer, healthier, 
lives. So I think there's one which is connecting values and purpose. And then I think there's aspect of soft skills, which are going to be, have always been, and will continue to be important around learning agility, you know, adaptability, resilience, and how can we use our 3E model to help people to continue to develop, grow in some of these softer skills um, in this ever-changing and evolving world in which, in which we live. Right. That's a great way to look at it. And again, you've got this great talent pool who currently exists within your organization. You've brought them in for a reason initially. And so really optimizing and making the most of that talent and bringing them up from within is such a smart approach for organizations. Again, instead of looking outside to say, hey, is there best talent outside the market? No, sometimes they're, they're right under your nose. And to your point about values and having team members who align with your core value systems, they've already been a part of the organization. They understand the values. They understand what the mission of your organization is. You've already got the right people from that aspect. And now it's just cultivating and giving them the right skills to keep growing. That's so well said, Josh. I mean, I think once you get the people and you have that alignment of values and purpose, so that's matched up. You know, we look to places where, you know, and, you know, again, we under, we all understand for all of our, our listeners on the podcast today, my colleagues in HR, that, um, you know, skills is increasingly becoming important and, and, and a critical kind of commodity within the talent landscape. But skills are always changing. I mean, every day, right. the expectations and requirements for what skills proficiency someone needs is changing. So if you're able to acquire, like, I believe we have a J&J, great talent with an alignment of values and purpose that has that high learning agility. Then your talent strategy evolves to one around continually upskilling, right? So it, it, it's hard to go out and find people in high demand, low talent supply spaces like digital or data science, or even in our world today, if we've looked at any of our data recruiters, that's one of the hottest jobs right now in right. terms of finding recruiters, et cetera. But if you have a talent base like we do, where you've got people that are aligned to your purpose and agile, how do we use the data that's available to us to find people that have aspirations to grow in some of these spaces and maybe some analog skills? So maybe maybe that person's not a data scientist, but once upon a time they were a math major or had worked in analytics or did something data oriented where they might have some interest in this. And how can we connect with them to say, hey, would this be something that you'd want to learn and grow in? Because we have a big need and you could have a great path there and seeing where those matches might, might make sense. Yeah, uh, completely makes sense. So within those skills, and I want to look at both sides of it, are there certain skills that are just innate within certain talent members where they're made for leadership and you could just see it? And, and what are those skills? And then on the other side, are there any skills that can be coached and really taught to make great leaders? Something that anybody through the right program can develop and really help make them an asset going forward. Yeah, Josh, I think you're getting at, at a little bit of that age old question around leadership and behaviors of, you know, are you sort of born with some of this stuff, as we yeah. might say, or can you grow? Can, you know, are, are leaders made or, or, or born? And um, my answer to that, quite frankly, is I think it's a little bit of both, right? So I subscribe to the fact that there are innate personality traits that, that get somewhat cemented around the teenage years around who people are. You know, what are you, what are your, traits and what what are your drivers and what motivates you and what your values are i think that's a core you know set of personality attributes that are a little bit hardwired um and some of those ways in which people are hardwired lend itself greater to being leaders at johnson and johnson we believe all of our people are leaders though and everyone at any level can always get better in leadership you know and part of our job is to make sure we give people opportunities to do that so 
you know, through this, this model I just talked about, these three E's, it's whether, um, you know, you're an aspiring leader, you're early in career, you're a senior leader, and you just want to get better. You can always get better in this, in this space of leadership. Right. So what are some of those traits that can be taught? Is it people management skills? Is it time management skills? So often, I think we've all seen it throughout our careers. You get the manager who just gets promoted through tenure, right? You've been there for long enough that you start to move up the chain and get opportunities to lead people, but maybe you're not the right or weren't given the right tools to actually lead. You just kind of led through tenure. So what are some of those skills that your team at Johnson & Johnson can implement to really build that next leadership group? Yeah. Well, first off, I think it begins with allowing people an opportunity to understand themselves. I talked about that, that self-reflection and insights and awareness and just kind of knowing who you are and your values and purpose and what drives you. Um, The second piece is I think you hit on a few of them, but one maybe um, addendum is, you know, our our belief and my belief is it's not necessarily about time management. It's really about energy management. So at the root of leadership, you know, if you ask if you ask me, Michael, how do you define leadership? I think en- leadership is all about energy management. I, I think great leaders are able to catalyze, um, conserve, and channel energy for themselves and others. Right? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Part of that is understanding what's important to so where you put that energy to, whether it's organization or individually. And the way in which you do that is, you you hit on a few of these things is understanding um, really clearly what's the situation warrant? What's the situation that we're facing? And then what are the the needs of followership and the people that are kind of interacting with the leader? And then what's the right approach for the leader from an energy management perspective? So sometimes, and this is all about situational leadership, right? Sometimes you need to be really directive and here's what we need to do. And sometimes very participative and democratic, but that style is always adapting. So what we try to do is, is, is to, you know, first off, hire people with that values and purpose. But second of all, try to give people through these three E's the ability to quickly assess situation and people needs to be able to adapt leadership needs to make sure that we're putting our energy in the places that matter most. So you talk about time management. It's not about teaching people like, you know, here's my calendar and here's how I structure that. It's really looking at that calendar with a lens of, you know, what is, what is the essential, you know, it, it may not just be the meaningful and how do we make sure that the organization, the individual is putting its energy to those things that are most important. I love the idea of energy management. And that really goes back to, I think, such a key trait with leadership is understanding how to delegate, understanding where you need to put your energy in and where, again, you can lean on your team. And also to your point of self-awareness, recognizing where you have your strengths versus where maybe your other team members do and can help out. Not trying to put it all on your own shoulders. I think that clearly can lead to burnout at all levels, right? Burnout is not, uh, it doesn't discriminate versus individual contributors to executives. I think we're all susceptible to it. And even more so as, as you rise up through an organization, those opportunities to take on responsibility become greater, but you can't do it all yourself. That's right. Understanding where to delegate is so crucial to that. No, that's, that's some great insight and a great way to look at it, Michael. So thank you for sharing. Hey, Josh, one of the things I'm not sure if you talked about with uh, my colleague and direct report, Sandra Humbles, is we're really excited at the level of conversation that we're going to be able to enable through managers and their direct reports through some baseline assessment information. And we, you know, some companies may have done this back in the day through uh, conversation or like a, a literal 
card sorting. I remember I used to do this. I had a deck of 52 cards and they'd have values and drivers. So I'm motivated by job security or career growth or money. And I, I would say, hey, take this deck of cards and come back to me with the two or three that are uh, that are most important to you. Our um, J&J Learn Group, which is our enterprise learning development group, has digitized this so that um, managers and employees can have conversations. A manager can go into a discussion and really understand, hey, Josh works for me, and I have a very clear view because he's communicated to me to what's important to him and how I need to structure and adapt my own leadership to get the best out of him, right? And that is something, right. it's just a, a crazy, wild, exciting new world for us to be able to do this with this sort of digital enablement. And I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned Sandra's great episode, which we previously shared with our audience. And I'd encourage anyone who is listening now who hasn't had the chance to go back and listen to that one. Sandra shared some great information just about embracing technology to lead new learning and development initiatives that are being done at Johnson & Johnson and really how those can be translated across all enterprises, all organizations, utilizing technology and tailored curation of learning content to help your workforce and help develop your workforce. Really smart, really great insight there from Sandra. But yeah, thank you for calling back to that one, Michael. That was definitely a good one that I encourage our audience to check out. I'm glad you also mentioned the idea of performance assessment and assessment of, of talent, right? Assessment of your uh, employees. How do those correlate the idea of identifying leaders and performance assessments? I think so often in our past, we, we've relied so much on performance. My grade is how I'm doing. Oftentimes, though, we find that it's not the all-in-all -all measurement of ability. So how do those two interact, performance assessment and capability and ability to be leaders? Yeah, I mean, our, our philosophy for, from a performance perspective is um, there's a balance as you think about someone's performance between the results of what they deliver and the behaviors to how and to what consistency they deliver it. And a Johnson & Johnson is equal. Right. So when we think about our performance management system, we assess people, you know, every year, everyone gets the, the right coaching and feedback towards those two things. So what do you what have you done and what are you doing and how are you doing it? Because we all know, um, you know, it's not just about the bottom line. Right. It's 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 about doing it the right way, the ethical way. The way for us at Johnson & Johnson that is aligned and consistent with our credo, right? which is in service of the constituents in which we serve, starting with our patients and our consumers, but also our employees, our communities, and, and ultimately our, our shareholders. So um, broadly, that's sort of our performance management philosophy, which is a what and how makeup. And then what we've done is we try to create a system in which people are getting consistent and regular feedback on how they're performing against that. Right. What we found though, at least our employees are telling us is they like the tangible view of a rating. You know, here's how I performed this year. And then having really concrete um, feedback on what they've done well, and then developmentally what they can do better so that can form a development plan, what they can work on. Right. I mean, very simply, a performance assessment is an opportunity for management to have a conversation with their team members, with their employees, and have a better understanding, okay, where is your career growth opportunity? It forces that conversation in certain cases and really enables that discussion to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in where we sit today, where I think one size fits all is very quickly becoming a thing of the past, it's 
everyone's different and it's not a one size fits all like, um, you know, um, vanilla approach for everyone. It's, um, there's, there's different components that make up each individual and it's not just about your performance rating, right. right? Or the experiences you had. It, it's a combination. It, yes, it is that, but it's also other things. It's some of the stuff we talked about earlier, you know, you're who you are and the behaviors that and leadership that you have and what motivates you and these experiences and your performance and, you know, other dimensions when we think about the whole person and, you know, we don't like to label people at J and J as, you know, as one thing, because there's a broad holistic self out there. We need to think about when we cultivate and develop our people. Absolutely. Well, when you look at the advantage of an assessment, right? An assessment just will give you a sense of strengths and weaknesses we've all got strengths and weaknesses. You just can then look at, okay, well, where are you strongest and where can we put you in positions where those can be an advantage? And then also, are there any weaknesses that training can help address? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's a great way to look at the assessment program. Shifting gears a bit, just to look at performance management and assessment overall, how have the last two years really impacted performance management and assessment for teams? Yeah. I talked a little bit about these different elements that are part of the the makeup of a, a talent ecosystem, situation, followership, leadership. And I think over the past couple of years, one of the things that we've learned is the situation and followership needs have changed, right? So it's not just the situational understanding in the workplace and what you do from nine to five while you're in an office sitting at a desk. Um, and it's not just the followers needs at work. It's you know, if it's one thing that the last couple of years has has done, um, as challenging as it has been, as you know, devastatingly hard as it's been for for many, is um, this divide between work and life. We talk about work life balance has has really very rapidly become eviscerated. Yeah, it's just life. You know, as we've zoomed in with people and seen their dogs and kids run around, and I could tell you, we could do a whole nother podcast of. The craziness that we've probably all uh, experienced as part of this, it's, it's just life. And, you know, I think as we assess performance and assessment um, and how it's evolved, I think there's a greater appreciation and understanding, which has actually leaped us forward, which is you're not just, you know, supporting an employee, you're supporting a person. And how do we equip our own, our, the leaders of people to be able to make that shift where we have to be um, really aware and understanding of this completely new context on situation and kind of follower needs. Um, and you know, maybe the last point I make about this is I don't think the behavioral requirements are that different. It's just a different application. So these these views of empathy and learning and adapting and are still the same, but they've been really pushed and tested, and in some regards. Um, Fast forwarded, given the pandemic, multiple pandemics we've been facing and what we've had to sort of overcome over the last couple of years. It's a really great insight and a great way to look at it. I mean, I love the idea of not even blurring the lines between work and personal life. Those lines are gone. It's completely wide open at this point. And just understanding and bringing, again, those traits such as empathy into performance management within your teams just has become much more crucial and more at the forefront, I think, probably than, than in the past. But still prevalent. It's still the same philosophy, the same concept. It's just morphing and changing and evolving. 
Mm-hmm. Indeed. So speaking of evolution and just looking forward and thinking in the scope of talent development, what do you see as the future of talent development? And is there anything you're excited about? Yeah, I mean, I, I point to a few, which um, I can't think of a more exciting time to be in the field of talent management or talent development right now. And, and, and partly is because um, at long last, I think we have some of the data um, and technology available to us to really um, connect people in different ways and to give them high personalization. So I think a couple of the thematic elements we're most excited about is we have new and different opportunities to get ready, get people ready for the future, right? So we talked about upskilling, but um, you know, it, it used to be in big organizations we'd have talent conversations and we'd say, "Hey, you know, Josh, you know, what's your dream job?" Well today, that's sort of a silly question because that job probably doesn't exist today, right? It probably hasn't been invented yet. Your dream job, who knows what that is? It's it's really around helping people to understand the different pathways they can take. And um, I think it's exciting with the, the technology and data that's available to us to help get people ready for the future, regardless of where that future may ebb and flow. Um, I think the other kind of exciting part with that same basis of technology and and data is, um, you know, allowing greater equity and access to development opportunities and being able to give people really highly personalized consumer grade development, right? Uh, versus, you know, here's a website, here's a program, you know, go at it. It's, it's stuff that really matters and is meaningful based on the individual's aspirations and, um, and, and the skills of where they are and where they want to be. So I, I, you know, I think we're in a really exciting time on the talent development front and I'm really proud of what we're doing. I feel like we're one of the companies leading the way in that space. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. I and mean, that goes back to the conversation we'd have with Sandra about all the great work at J and J learn and, and that opportunity to use technology to mass share um, learning and development opportunities where once maybe you were limited to a classroom where you could only get 50 people in the classroom at one time, that's endless now. You can, you can distribute learning opportunities across the entire organization if it's the right fit, but then also having those chances to really create a tailored learning plan, which with the confines of a brick and mortar learning opportunity, you may not be able to pull off, but when you can really just digitize the entire process, that does just create so many more opportunities to unlock talent that maybe wasn't possible previously. You know, for all of us, um, you know, all, all of your listeners and for me, it, it's it's one in which development was really focused on kind of what are your next couple of jobs? And that would be very local to the manager employee relationship and a slew of of education, right? A program, a training. Of, and, you know, where we've gone under Sandra's leadership in our J&J Learn is, is broadening that, that out to say learning and growth can happen in a lot of different ways. And at the heart of that is a talent marketplace that connects our people that want to learn and grow with this multitude of development opportunities we have. So yes, it is the learning part. You know, here's um, increasingly digital learning you can access in micro or bite-sized chunks, but it's also connecting people digitally and with high levels of equality, I would say, you know, mentors and gigs or projects to do on the side. 
and jobs that maybe you didn't know about or didn't think about, right? And career pathways and all of this, I would say, entire world of development versus just, well, here's a training class you should take or here's right. what your next job should be. Yeah, it almost seems like the career pathway widened from being a single lane road to now you've got a, a multi-lane highway where you just got a lot more space to explore and navigate and move around to find that right fit and find your best opportunity. It's a great metaphor. Absolutely. All right. Well, well thank you, Michael. Uh, so before wrapping just on the questions, there's one last one I had for you about talent development, and it's looking at the latest wave of talent coming in. Gen Z, the, the new graduates, what's something that's unique about that latest wave of talent that's entering the workforce that really sets them apart from previous generations and can make them an asset to so many organizations? You know, it's funny. I did a, um, a presentation or I did a talk with, with a group not too long ago where they asked me to talk about generational differences. And, you know, it's funny, but if you look over the, the course of the last couple of thousand of years of history, there's always a view of the older, you know, like me, incumbent generation saying, geez, this younger generation is so different. And invariably, when you peel that back, you know, um, I'll give you an example would be many of us will think, well, they don't make music like they used to. Right. All of us sort of thing. Everyone says oh, right? yeah. that, man, yep. when I grew up in whatever, whatever decade it was that, you know, that, and, and, it, and that's sort of, but if you actually look at some data by generation, there's a wide range of people that like all kinds of different music. So I think we have some, you know, a little bit of, of, of bias on this. And, you know, in its essence, I think there's a lot more in common in the generations than 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 uncommon. But one thing is different is the generation that is now kind of coming into the workforce, they were raised in this in this digital um, environment, right? And we can talk about the metaverse. I can, you know, my own kids socialize in a very different way. They socialize through Roblox and Minecraft as, you know, in, in different ways than when than I grew up or probably even when you grew up, Josh. Um, so I think understanding the way in which people access information and the way in which people communicate as being digital natives is a real difference. And one that the workforce needs to accommodate is that we have generations that like to get information and like to communicate based on how they were raised in different ways. Right. Um, so I think I think that's one real difference. But I think, you know, some of the other aspects I hear around like you know, some negative stereotypes around whatever younger generation that there might be, I'm not sure if they're really founded. I, I think I'll, I'll give you like an example of that is I think there might be a stereotype that the younger generation might come in and well, there's less hierarchy and they're, they, they're direct with what they want and they feel free to express their views. But in reality, when I think about myself or yourself, I mean, we all feel like that coming and starting our career. We want to make an impact. Right. We want to add value that like, I'm going to break through barriers like and it doesn't matter what generation that is. It's just I think as you progress on, you might forget a little bit what it was like for you when you just started out of school. Yeah, I think that's just being in your 20s and just starting out. Yeah, that's right. I mean, having the courage to challenge the status quo. That's what you do. You know, like that's that's what we want when you're you know at all levels. But, you know, I think coming out you, you, and in particular in your 20s, you want to make an impact. You, yeah, know, you want to set hot. yourself up in your career. Yeah, coming out hot. Exactly. All right. That's, that's a great way to look at it, Michael. Thanks for sharing that. So looking at your experience now, just to turn things around, we've talked about just how talent management has changed over the last two years, but is there something you've learned over the last two years that has made you a better leader? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of practice of some of the 
academic work that I've done over time, which is the, the importance of authenticity and vulnerability and listening. And the fact that, you know, as, as leaders, you don't always have to, and, and won't always have all the answers. And I think over the last couple of years, an increasing level of permission from followership where that may build more confidence than lack of confidence by being really vulnerable with, with how you feel. So, you know, I did my, my doctoral work on a topic called situational transparency. So my, my first doctor was on authenticity, and then I, I got into situational transparency, which is something you can actually control. Uh, authenticity is a little bit of how you're hardwired, but situational transparency is about, you know, how much information you disclose, how much vulnerability do you let out? Sure. Yeah. And I found over the last couple of years that, um, you know, listening more and um, allowing myself, I think, to be a little bit more vulnerable um, has has connected better. I mean, it's that notion of, you know what, like I've got, you know, I've got, especially during pandemic, you know, I've got three kids running around, I'm trying to work and how do you manage that? And even, you know, at more senior levels, being able to disclose that, which is like, hold on a second, my my son wants to show me this drawing he just made, I'll be back in a second is not necessarily a bad thing. It shows that you're human and real. So I, I, I think over the last couple of years, um, the willingness and openness of the workplace to embrace the whole self and being a little bit more authentic and vulnerable and 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 the importance of listening and, and leaning on your community inside and outside of work has been you know, important learnings and growth for me personally. What I like there is you're practicing what you preach. At the beginning, you mentioned you mentioned energy management and you mentioned having that transparency, you're doing it. And you've learned that over, especially over the last two years, as so many of us have, of understanding that you can be vulnerable, you can't be transparent, but the energy management piece of it is so crucial too, and being self-aware. I think that's that's great to hear and, and thank you for sharing that. You got it. All right. And then one last thing I'd love for you to share is, do you have any business advice, any professional advice that you've leaned on throughout your career that you could share with our audience of HR professionals to help them along, pay it forward, if you will? Well, I, I would say, you know, some of the most important advice, uh, I'll give you a couple of the nuggets that I've, that I've gone over the time. The first is I think for all human resources professionals, and uh, I know this won't come as, as terribly transformational for most of our listeners here, but, you know, it's really deeply understand the business, you know, start with, what generates value? What's the service you provide? What's the differentiation? And deeply get ingrained in the financials. I think there's a level of credibility that comes from not just working from the center and kind of transacting around filling jobs and training people and so forth, but really delivering value because you're aligned to what generates value for the business. So I think that's one one piece. The second, and I think most on the uh, on on the podcast would probably agree. I mean, our workload the workload is incredible right now, and will continue to be uh, a challenge. And that you know, the advice that I got from someone was, "There's no excuse for not being strategic." You know, it's easy to get tied down in sort of the day to day of what you got to tick off the to do list, but just making sure you raise up and are connecting the dots, having that big picture orientation and understanding why are we doing this? And I used that example before of, of um, you know, essential versus meaningful, all the work's good, but what's really the most important, you know, items that you can be working on to unleash this energy or untrap this energy. 
uh, to allow people and organizations to be at their best. So that's that's a couple words of wisdom I would pass along that that I that I received over time. Oh, that's great advice. I appreciate it. I'm sure our audience will too. So thank you for that, Michael. So again, we're joined today by Dr. Michael Errett, Head of Global Talent Management at Johnson & Johnson, having a great conversation here about leadership, both cultivating that next group of leadership within your organization, but also just how to be better leaders ourselves, those in leadership opportunities and leadership positions. So uh, having a great conversation here. Michael, before we wrap, do you have anything you'd like to plug for Johnson & Johnson, anything you have going on that you're excited about and want to share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, I make a little bit. I mean, we've got such an amazing audience here of of talented and capable HR people. I, I would I would make a plug to say, um, uh, you know, from from a a, um, a company perspective, um, you know, we're on a mission to change the world at Johnson and Johnson. We want to change the trajectory of healthcare for humanity. And whether um, you're someone that's out there thinking about um, a job shift or even working within the healthcare ecosystem, if that is aligned to your own purpose and, you know, values, Johnson & Johnson is a unbelievable place to work. Um, so I couldn't help but make a plug given the audience and the breadth of audience you have there. The second is, um, you know, I'd love to sort of recognize more than anything, the great work that's happening across our, our HR community. And I think Jane, Jay Learn, you discussed in the previous episode, is really cutting edge, forward-thinking, future-oriented HR work. But um, you know, across our function, we're doing some things, having worked through multiple companies that we could have only you know dreamed about years ago. So um, I, I'd love to thank my HR colleagues at J and J and my own team for everything they do uh, every day to help ultimately serve the patients and consumers that benefit from Johnson and Johnson's products and solutions. I love it. Well said. All right. Well, Michael, before we wrap here. I'll close with the one question we ask all of our guests, and that is when you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor and you, you start your day, what is the one thing that really gets you motivated and gets you going? Yeah, I, I think I think the most exciting thing that we get to do every day, and if you forgive me with a little quick story here, Josh, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I'll give you a story. Go for it. The reason why I got into this game actually goes back for me to when I was in eighth grade and uh, I had a pre-algebra teacher named Vit Piscuskis, and I, I don't remember much about pre-algebra, but I can distinctly remember during one math lesson, he stopped the class and he wrote on the blackboard, you know, which shows my age, there was blackboards in it, and, and he wrote essentials to success, communication skills, confidence, and sense of humor. And from my little, what, 13-year-old mind or whatever it was, this hit me like a bolt of lightning. And I said, there could be like a formula for success. Like, this is awesome. And not that I'm saying that's the right formula, but I've been on this lifelong sort of journey and fascination with this notion of helping people to be successful. And the thing that excites me when I jump out of bed in the morning is I work in a job and for a company that allows me to be a part of that, to allow people to be successful and increasingly in easier and more user-friendly ways. So that's what I get really excited about. And it's not just for a subsection, it's for everybody for all of our employees. That's a great way to start your day. That's a great motivator. Thank you for sharing that, Michael. And again, thank you for all your great insight you shared today. So again, Dr. Michael Errett, Head of Global Talent Management at Johnson & Johnson, thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast, sharing such great insight. And uh, we hope to keep the conversation going and have you back soon. I would love to. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms. 
including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.